will be Mark. Mark 7. It'll be verses uh, 1 to 8 this morning. Gospel of Mark. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. If you find, found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's word this morning? May you hear the word of Christ. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs that they received and kept, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, and their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for being able to gather us here together as your church to gather around your word. And I hope we just take a second and really visualize that, that we have gathered around your word so that we might see it as the center of our lives, that it brings up forth life. It brings forth a, a love that is so true in the life of Christ, but also has been given to us through his life, death, and resurrection. And it is gifted to us through your spirit. And so, Lord, as this day is, uh, is a reminder of Pentecost, the seven uh, weeks after Christ's own resurrection and ascension. And so, Lord, may we be reminded that your spirit has been sent to your people so that we might live a life of agape love, of sacrificial love that testifies to the life of Christ. And so may we also see so clearly the word that is preached today. May we understand it with clarity and live it out in such a way that others can definitely see that we have understood the word and that we follow after the word that is Christ himself. And so we offer all these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been traveling around Trenton in the past, I don't know, couple weeks, you've probably noticed the construction of McDonald's. It's getting a new face, so to speak. Uh, I've noticed how they continue to even serve uh, and do business while transforming the outside of McDonald's and the restaurant itself. The cooking, you could say, the cleaning, the service continue to go on inside, don't they? drive through still open. You see the big sign, don't you? It's still open. Yet on the outside, there's a transformation, a restoration that is happening to restaurant itself. And a new face is being sculpted in our hometown McDonald's. We must not treat unselfish self-care. That is remember where we're what we're dealing with in the month of June. Unselfish self-care in the same way 
that is happening to our own McDonald's. Because when self-care is not properly rooted in the self-denying and the self-sacrificing work and love of Christ, it will become hypocritical. Uh, hypocritical. It will become merely external change of ourselves, whereas nothing is happening inwardly. Do you get that? That picture in your head? That if self-care is nothing more than just a change of behavior on the outside and there's nothing deeply happening within us, then there's, there's major problems. Not only for our own sanctification, our being made into the likeness of Christ, but we just become hypocrites. We change the outside, but there's nothing going on inside transformation-wise. Because I think what we see throughout the Gospels and throughout Paul's letters is this, is that the true gospel change and that transformation is both inwardly and outwardly. It's not just inwardly where we just continue to soak in Scripture and we don't live it out. And it's not a change of behaviors on the outside where there's no change inside. We must take all our inward lives, all of our outward lives, and to direct it upward towards Christ. Because last week, if I could give a quick brief reminder of what last week is about, it is self-care, uh, an unselfish self-care is exactly that, is where we take all of our lives and direct it upward. All of our lives and we direct it upward towards Christ. That means our habits, our hearts, our heads and our hands, all of who we are is to be redeemed and rede uh, redirected towards Christ our King. And in fact, the scriptures are to saturate our understanding of how we are to practice this self-care, this unselfish self-care. And I think that's one of the major points that we need to take away throughout the passage of Mark 7 today is that Scripture is meant to saturate, to drown our lives, especially as it relates to self-care. And so let's see what Mark 7 has for us this morning. So let's begin with looking at the Pharisees. Let me just give a little bit of a snippet aside of what the Pharisees are typically understood. Don't, you know, I've heard in the past that whenever you see the word Pharisee, you're supposed to think, boo, right? You're supposed to boo them. That isn't truly the case in all instances and when Jesus interacts with the Pharisees because sometimes Jesus actually commends the Pharisees. He says, if your own life isn't exceedingly great like the Pharisees, then you haven't truly, understand, truly understood the kingdom. So he commends them in certain places, but then there's other places where he's got a, a few nice choice words to say about the way that they're acting and living before Israel. And so this is one of the situations where he's got some choice words for the Pharisees. So let's give a little bit of an identity and understanding of in the ancient world, who were the Pharisees? Well, I've got four P's for you. First, you could consider them the PhDs of the Bible. They knew the scriptures better than any of us put together. They soaked in the, the Bible of their day, the Hebrew Bible. They knew it to its very point. They knew it to its very letter. They knew it to a great extent that they could quote large amounts of it. 
And in fact, you would have gone through years and years and years of training in order to become a Pharisee. Paul, the one who writes all the letters after the Gospels, he was a Pharisee. He worked for the Pharisees. He was known as one of those, as he tells in one of his letters, who has become so exceedingly great that everybody knew who he was. And so, yes, they would have been the PhDs of the Hebrew Bible. Second uh, P, for the most part, they cared pastorally. That's your second P. They pastorally cared for Israel. They were the pastors of their day. They walked around from city to city, from village to village, in order to see what the people were doing, and they tried, at least the intentions were, to pastorally take care of the needs of that community or village. Third P, prophetic. In some ways, they tried to be prophetic about the, what God was up to, what Yahweh was up to in Israel at that time. And so they directed their teaching, the Hebrew Bible, towards the life of Israel in order to, for the people of Israel to lift their eyes up to Yahweh. So the third, prophetic. So we have the PhDs of the day, the pastorally caring, you have the prophetic, and then last, this is what they're most commonly known for in the New Testament. They were the police of the day. They loved to police the life of Israel. And this is where Jesus really has choice words because anytime the Pharisees are walking around from village to village, community to community, and they are policing the lives of Israel, Jesus steps in because he realizes that ultimately what he sees them doing is that he's, they're trying to change the behaviors of Israel in a not so great way. It's not that they weren't truly trying to uh, express what holiness was meant to be in the life of Israel. It's just how they went about it. Because we can speak many words, even today, the content of our words can be good, but how we communicate it, not so great. And so that's what Jesus tends to have in mind when he is butting into their conversations. It's because they're policing the life of Israel and only worried about the changing of external behaviors. And so that's where this is all wrapped up. And you can see in the entirety of the passage how they're always making sure that their hands are ceremonially and ritually washed before they eat. Or even Mark goes on to detail to talk about how they uh, would wash cups and pitchers and kettles and dining couches in order for them to be ritually and ceremonially clean for the life of Israel. Because what, here's one thing we need to understand about holiness in the life of Israel. In the early life of Jesus, when you have all of these people who are running around thinking that God has left them, well, why would they think that? Because Rome has invaded the land. That means some foreign territory has some sort of um, authority over them. That means that they are now taken over by a pagan land, a pagan nation. And so they see that they're not being blessed by Yahweh because they're not independently ruled by themselves. And so what happens is that you have these Pharisees and Sadducees that begin spreading out through these communities and they police the holiness of the lives of Israel and say, no, no, you can't do that. We need to be holy. We need to do this. Oh, you can't do that over there. You need to be holy. You need to do this. 
what happens is that all of their lives just change around all of these, as Jesus says, traditions of the elders, as opposed to really rooting their holiness with a love of God and love of neighbor. And so Jesus is definitely butting heads against how they are going about policing holiness. And let's be frank for a second and say that um, even though we, we tend to speak of Pharisees in the scriptures as these PhDs, these pastorally caring people, these prophetically teaching, and also these policing kind of characters, Pharisees are not just in ancient Israel. We continue to have Pharisees even today. Let me just name you some. We can have even a Hollywood actor or actress could be a modern-day Pharisee. You could even have politicians that are modern-day Pharisees. You could even have the latest talk show host as a modern-day Pharisee. You could have athletes or even us as mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles. Even a plumber can be a modern-day Pharisee. And even we pastors can be modern-day Pharisees. Well, why is that the case? Because any time that we take and we fashion our own rules and teachings and we try to say that these teachings trump the Scriptures, that's when we become a modern-day Pharisee. Or any time that we take personal preferences and we raise them and exalt them above the Scriptures, we become modern-day Pharisees. It's not that they just lived back then. Jesus is pointing out something more about the human heart. is how we can all raise our own preferences, our own opinions to the point where we make the Scriptures completely mute and silent. Instead of looking deeply at what Christ and God the Father has for His people. And how they can, again, soak in the Scriptures and not be soaked in these unhealthy traditions. So why is this un, uh, harmful? Why is Jesus so concerned about this in Mark 7? So anytime, as I already said, we elevate a human opinion or preference to the point where it is at the status of Scripture, we create unhealthy and harmful traditions. And so again, there are different types of traditions that we can understand. We have family traditions, don't we? We have church traditions. It's not that we tend to think in our Baptistic world that traditions, all traditions are bad. Not all traditions are bad. There can be very helpful and very caring traditions that actually move us towards the Scriptures. And there can be very unhelpful and unhealthy traditions that move us away from the Scriptures that actually promote divisiveness in the church. Jesus is pointing out certain traditions that, is, that are not promoting unity, not promoting true holiness, not truly promoting an honoring of God, a loving of God, and a worshiping of God. You see this, in fact, in verse 6 and 7 when he quotes Isaiah to make his point. He says, Isaiah prophesied not about his day, but about you, Pharisees, who said this, This people honors me, there's honor, honors me with their lips, only on the outside. Then their heart is far from me. Nothing is happening inside for these people. Then they worship in vain as opposed to correctly worshiping towards Christ. 
and then they teach doctrines that are nothing more than human commands. And then he lands with this final, this final point towards them. You abandon the command of God and hold on to human tradition. And so they have elevated tradition to the point where it's not keeping and honoring of God. It's actually pushing away from it. But we can do this even today. We can take even us Christians as the church, we can prevent others from experiencing the life and liberty found in Christ. We can even take uh, some human teachings and traditions and elevate them to some sort of divine status. We do it all the time. We don't mean to. At least I don't think we mean to, but we tend to push towards this elevation of these human traditions to the point that they are held as divine scripture and we lower the actual scriptures themselves. And we've all been promoters and victims of elevating the scriptures, assuming human traditions to the point of scripture. I think we can bring up plenty of stories where we have been a victim of some sort of church descent where something has happened and said you cannot be a part of this church or you cannot truly be a Christian if this is the case, can't we? Or we know close friends of ours who have been told, well, you can't be a part of the church because this is the case. And we know that that sort of divisiveness can really hinder our own unselfish self-care. It can actually prevent God from working in us because we see this divisiveness as some sort of way where we say, if that's what the church is about, I don't want to be a part of it. And I can say and confess that I went through a stage like that where I said, I just don't want to be a part of it because I've seen so many people hurt. But yet, some wild reason Christ chose a body of broken people to be his church, a body of believers to testify about who he is and the type of love he has shared with his world through his own life, death, and resurrection. But what does this mean for self-care? Once it comes to self-care and unselfish self-care, we can be that promoter. We can be that victim of elevating human traditions where we tell ourselves this, Jesus will love me if I get my mental struggles in line. I've had friends that have struggled with mental illness and they think that if they get their mental illness straightened out, then Jesus will love them. Or if I'm emotionally balanced, I mean, some days I feel like I'm crazy. And I think if I just would be a little bit more emotionally balanced, Jesus would love me better. Or if I'm only obedient to him, if I would stop my own broken and sinful ways, Jesus will love me. Well, church, let me just say this. That is not the gospel itself. That is far from what the gospel is. Because unselfish self-care, as I've already said last week and I'll reiterate this week, is deeply rooted in the grace, mercy, and love of Christ. The Pharisees went around teaching, you are accepted and loved if you keep these traditions of the elders. That's not what Jesus, he actually turns it on its head and says, you have completely missed the Hebrew scriptures. 
Because it is in fact this. You are already loved and already accepted. Now go and demonstrate this love of mine through action. You have already been loved. As John will say it in his own writing, because we are loved, we love. It's not, let me find all these conditions. If I do this, if I do that, if I can just get my life together, then Jesus will love me. We've become, again, a modern-day Pharisee. We've turned Scripture completely upside down, and we've put human tradition in its place. And it actually lowers a self-care because it demeans us. And it demeans more, to be more blunt, it demeans the actual cross of Christ himself. To say that Jesus loved us so much that he would die for us, and then we turn around and say, well, he didn't love me enough because I need to do this and this and this in order for him to accept me as I am. The high point of this passage in Mark 7 is that this people, the Pharisees, have abandoned the command of God. And you hold on to human tradition. Let's look at those two verbs. Hold. The Greek word it means something like this. To hold fast to. To cling to. To clinch. To wrap yourself around. Or as Ezra, our son, will say, to bear hug. You hold on. You bear hug human tradition so much that you abandon the command of God. Well, let's look at that word abandon. It means to leave or to let go of. It means to put something over there and walk away from it. And so if I could give you a story and put this sort of mental image in your head of what Mark is saying through the words of Jesus here, it would be something like this. Let's take something you love dearly. Let's say a child. You've taken care of this child, raised him or her since birth. You have uh, tended to his and her emotional and physical needs since they've been born. And then you make a decision to abandon this child. You take him or her and drop him or her off at somebody else's front door and you just let go and walk away. Then you choose a new life for yourself. A new home, a new city, maybe even a new family of sorts or maybe a new child to hold fast to and to cling to. These are the mental images that Jesus is trying to express through those two verbs. That you, like a a child left on a doorstep. You have abandoned, Pharisees, the ways of God. And you have bear-hugged a new life of human traditions. You have set the commands of God, the scriptures, over there and walked away from them. And you have bear-hugged completely new traditions that are unrelated to the scriptures themselves. Church, if I could just express this today. And this is where we'll end let us not fall into that same situation. Dare we ever fall into that situation where we put the scriptures over there, abandon them, and pick up a num number of human traditions and raise it into divine status. But instead, for our own unselfish self-care, let us find ourselves bear-hugging Christ.
May we bear hug his scriptures and, not, and also on top of that, we abandon the human traditions that we sometimes put in place. Let's abandon them and let's elevate the scriptures because it is through them that we find a helpfulness in them, that they give us a health and vitality in life for our own self-care so that we might promote our inward and outward lives upward towards him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your scriptures. And Christ, I pray that we remember your words to the Pharisees because they're not just words to an ancient people that you interacted with, but it's, they're still here for us because you know our human heart. You know our tendency once it comes to elevating human traditions to the point where they become our scriptures. Maybe we abandon that. May we see that our hearts are inclined towards, well, this is what the scripture says, but in fact, it might have nothing to do with scripture. Or here's what my pre preference or opinion is about my own spiritual walk. Well, let's abandon those. And may the scriptures truly be the foundation and the aim where we live all of our life directed towards you. And so as we continue to move through this unselfish self-care, may we be reminded that we are to take our inward lives that are being transformed by your spirit and our outward lives that are being transformed by your spirit. And may we continue to direct them upward towards you. And all of that is found in the scriptures of how we can live out your ways. And so may they continue to be our life source. But may they also be the light to our path so that we might walk in a way that is worthy of your kingdom. And so I pray that over every individual in our church that we continue to invest our lives in your scriptures. And so that the community around us would say they must love Christ because I see it again and again where they are devoting their lives towards and upwards towards him. And so, Father, we ask these things in his name. Amen.